If you had to make a top five list, a top five list for Bible passages, which ones would you put on it? And this is an honest question. I will take options. It doesn't matter if you don't remember where the book or the chapter, verse, if there's, if there's some piece of God's word that you would put on the top five list, what, what would it be? Any, any, yeah. John. Nice. For God so loved the world, gave his one and only son. So we have one, yeah. Okay. I'm the resurrection and the life. Awesome. Did I see another one? Yep, now we're going. Good. You can just throw them out there. Yeah. That uh, in this world you have trouble, but fear not, I have overcome the world. That's a beautiful one. Awesome. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. The fruits of the Spirit. Nice. Psalm 23. Nice. Is it, oh, did you both say that? Nice. All right, so we have more than top five, right? That's, that's awesome. We could go on for a long time, couldn't we? Beautiful passages. I agree 100%. Uh, I looked it up, and I think there's probably, there's no definitive top five. Okay, just so you know. But according to a couple of popular uh, Bible apps and websites, uh, this is where I got a, a top five. And some of them you, you had. So number, at number five was Philippians 4.13. Tim Tebow kind of made this one famous. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Uh, Romans 8.28. We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him. Psalm 23 was number three. The Lord is my shepherd. We just sang the whole psalm. That was our last song. Jeremiah 29.11. Uh, for I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. What do you think the number one is? Yeah, it's John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Wow, beautiful passages. Any surprises here? I don't think so, not, not as far as popularity. These are all beautiful passages. It's no wonder why people want to search them. They want to have them in their heart and their heads. But I guess... I'll admit, one does surprise me a little bit. It's number three, Psalm 23. And it's not for reasons that you think. I know how popular this is. Uh, I've been a pastor for 20 years, by God's grace. And in those 20 years, I have done, I counted it up this week, uh, I have officiated at um, 75 or plus funerals. It's a lot of funerals. And I can for sure tell you that in 95% of those situations, the family is always asked to have Psalm 23 at the funeral. That's how popular it is. It's, it's, uh, it's beloved. And so that doesn't surprise me. I guess what surprises me is that it's so popular given its content. What is Psalm 23 about? It's a psalm about a shepherd. Just think through that logically. A, a shepherd a shepherd, with all of that love for the metaphor of a shepherd, I'm, I'm thinking, well, why? Correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think any of us are in agriculture. So that doesn't like, grab us because it relates that way. How, do we know a lot about shepherding sheep? Is that, is that our forte? 
Do we know a lot about the shepherding job? Like, is it lucrative? Do you, do you see it in the, the Forbes magazine as one of the top jobs of the year? I, no. Does anyone even know a shepherd? You do? Awesome. Good. I, I wondered if there'd be one. I used to raise sheep. I, th- I told you that before in sermons. So, yeah. But even though all that's true, we will look at Psalm 23 and go, oh, yes, the shepherd psalm. I love that one. Right? And I'm not mocking it. I'm not even disagreeing. I'm just curious why. If we don't know a whole lot about shepherding, what is it about that picture of a shepherd that we really treasure? So that's going to actually be our goal today. I want to take a look at the Good Shepherd chapter of the Bible, John chapter 10, and see if we can answer this question. Why do we treasure the shepherd so much? So often, maybe too often, we open our Bibles and we treat it like this collection of short stories that are given to us to kind of give us a moral, teach us some things. and That's just not what it is, right? This is a, the Bible is a historical narrative where everything is set into real-life situations and context. And, and that real-life context gives the story depth. It gives it meaning. And I think that's important to understand as we talk about John chapter 10 and the Good Shepherd. Uh, it's not like Jesus randomly woke up one morning and said, you know what, I don't know, what am I going to talk about today? Oh, this is going to be a good one. People are going to love this. I'm going to tell them I'm a shepherd. Jesus didn't just do that. It didn't just pop up. You don't have the Good Shepherd chapter without the chapter before John chapter 9. And what happened in John chapter 9 was Jesus healed a man that was born blind And then a whole bunch of events happened after that. Now, if you want to explore that one, I did give a sermon on that just like six weeks ago, March 19th. You can look it up on Spotify or on YouTube and and explore that. But here's what I want to do. I want to set the scene for the Good Shepherd chapter. So you have a man who is blind. And every day he's sitting in front of the house of worship. And he's sitting there because he is literally depending on the love and the charity of those passing by for his basic needs. And a lot of people loved him. And they supplied. But none more than Jesus. The day that Jesus walked by, he received his sight. Can you imagine how amazing it would be after your whole life being blind, being able to see the world around you for the first time? But here's the point that I I really want you to consider. He saw more than the world around him that day. He saw a very clear and stark contrast. So this is the contrast that this blind man saw just before Jesus talks about being the good shepherd. He's sitting there, and every day there are people around him at that house of worship who are there to care for him, to lead him and to guide him. They were the spiritual leaders, right? But his whole life, what did he receive from those spiritual leaders? A burdened conscience. And then once he was healed, what did he receive from those spiritual leaders? Uh, Skepticism, rebuke, and eventually rejection. He wasn't even allowed in the house of worship. And these were from the people that were the care to care and lead and guide him. It's the complete opposite, right? 
of what he was supposed to have. And, and here's the amazing thing. Throughout the Old Testament, throughout the history of the nation of Israel, God put people like those spiritual leaders in place to care and lead and guide, and he gave them a special name. Do you have any idea what the name for them is throughout the Old Testament? You can guess it. Shepherds. Some shepherds, huh? So as he's receiving that from them, now here's Jesus. And what does the man receive from Jesus? Not burden. Freedom. Not skepticism. Truth. Not rebuke. Forgiveness. Not rejection, but belonging. You can see the contrast too, right? And as Jesus is standing in that contrast between those supposed shepherds and himself, what does he say about himself? I am the good shepherd. I'm the true shepherd. I'm the shepherd that God always wanted for, my, for his people. And so that, I think that gives such rich depth to what Jesus is saying now. After that whole situation, immediately he comes after healing the blind man, and he says, Very truly I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way, they're a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. So those supposed leaders were not shepherds. They were thieves and robbers. Jesus is the good shepherd. And once you start to understand Jesus as shepherd, you start to understand two very important things. You understand something about yourself, and you understand something about Jesus. And so I want to explore those two things for the rest of the sermon. Let's start with ourselves. Because Jesus is shepherd, what can we find out about ourselves? There's a true story that was shared with me just very recently. This past week, uh, an ambulance uh, dropped off a homeless man, from the, transferred a homeless man from the hospital to the shelter in Boulder, here in North Boulder. And they dropped him, on the, dropped him off at the sidewalk, put a blanket on him. He's still in the hospital clothes. And... Um, it wasn't long after that, I don't know if it was even during that, that he was having a diabetic episode and his blood sugar was low. And uh, someone went to go get for, to help and the answer they received was, oh, they drop those people off all the time. There's a lot wrong with that situation, isn't there? But I think it all boils down to two words in that response those people. It shows a bigger truth. We love to make a distinction that over there, there is someone who is uh, weak and helpless and dependent. But over here, I like to think of myself as the opposite, as strong, as able, independent. We don't like to think of ourselves as weak, helpless, and independent. And we try to separate ourselves. And it doesn't just happen over on Broadway, it happens everywhere, even in places like this, because this is a truth. Every one of us, you and me included, you and I included, if given the chance, 
will say those people rather than admit that we are needy. And that's true physically. That's kind of the, the story that I told. But I think it makes a point spiritually too. And I think it's even more true spiritually. We don't like to think of ourselves as needing anything. That's just a fact. But as we're thinking of this, we don't need that much. Jesus comes along and he says, I am the good shepherd. And before we talk about what that means for Jesus, what does it mean for you and me when Jesus says, I'm the shepherd? It means that we are sheep, right? And like it or not, there's no such thing as those people when it comes to sheep. We're all those people. It's true. Sheep are a prime example of weak and helpless and completely dependent. Think about it. Their food, their water, their protection, their care, everything is on the shepherd. The shepherd is everything to the sheep. And I think that's, that's more true of sheep than any other animal when we're using agricultural and animal illustrations. If you let a horse go, the horse says, sweet, I'm free, and it runs into the sunset to a new life. You let a sheep go, it says, where am I? And it dies or gets killed. That, that's just true. Sheep are nothing, and the shepherd is everything. And on the, on the surface level, I think we like the sound of that. The shepherd is everything to the sheep. But I don't think we like the truth of that. Because how does it look in reality? I think we want to believe that we have enough good, we have enough ability, we have enough wisdom, we have enough sense of right that, that what we need, we need a helper. We, we need a consultant. Someone who's there when we need them and can put us back on track. We, we don't need a shepherd who's everything, right? I have a video and I really hope it works. I wonder if some of you have seen it on TikTok. It's just perfect. Sometimes the picture's worth a thousand words, so we'll see if this works. Have you seen this one? So the shepherd is working hard to get the sheep out of the ditch. Sweet. It's free. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> Boom. It's funny. That's us. That is us, and I'll prove it. What if I had a conversation with your five years ago self? Your five years ago self. And I take to this conversation with your five years ago self a list. A list of every one of your mistakes and your failures and your wrongdoings in the past five years. And I show that to your five years ago self. I know what your five years ago self would say. What is this? There's no way I would do that. Who do you think I am? And yet you did. You did, right? Admit it. I do too. We're weak. We are helpless. We are dependent. We need a shepherd. That's what the good shepherd reveals about ourselves. Now, thankfully, the Good Shepherd reveals something 
very awesome about Jesus. And I think to understand what it reveals about Jesus, we go back to that blind man. He said two very cool things at the end of the, of the event that I think summarizes it all. The first thing he said as, as the spiritual leaders were questioning him, he said, one thing I know, I was blind and now I see. And then later, Jesus went and talked to him. And as he's talking to Jesus, he said, Lord, I believe in you. And he worshiped him. This is what this tells us about our shepherd. The shepherd loves and cares for his sheep in body and in soul. Isn't that the picture? That's what Jesus is saying himself when he says, whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in, they will go out, they will find pasture. I love this picture of coming in and going out. Isn't that really a description of a, of a sheep's entire life? That's all they do. They, they go out of the pasture or the barn and they come in to the barn from the pasture. That, that's it. And so what Jesus is saying is as shepherd, it's all encompassing. His care and his love. Moment by moment. Every day. Think about this for yourself. Is there a moment in your life? Is there a situation in your life where you can't look and see your good shepherd at work? In the good, in the bad, in success, in failure, in ease and in difficulty, in every one of those situations, you can turn and say, Dear Shepherd, you are with me. Dear Shepherd, help me. Dear Shepherd, comfort me. Dear Shepherd, guide me. Dear Shepherd, thank you. The Shepherd's care is all-encompassing, every area of your life, every moment. But as much as I like this phrase, I like the one before it better. Whoever enters through me will be saved. This isn't uh, new to me, with me, original to me. And I heard another pastor use this, so I'm going to use it. Uh, there's a story about a, a Russian soldier in one of the world wars. I, I can't remember which one it was. Seems like World War I. Uh, he had been embezzling money from his troop because his family had fallen on hard times. And it was found out. And he knew it was up. You know, it was over for him. And so one night... Soon after that, he, he opened up the, the, the ledger, the books. He was looking at all the mess he had made, all the mistakes. It's, it's all right there. And he decided he was going to get drunk and then end it all. Turns out he got too drunk and he passed out. So that didn't happen. But that night, the, it said that the, the czar actually came to his barracks and he saw everything. He looked through the books. He saw the whole situation. And what he did is he wrote a note and put his seal on it and left. And the next morning, the officer woke up and he read the note. From the czar himself, it said, I will make good your debt. He couldn't believe it. Because what had happened, the czar saw everything there was nothing to hide anymore. He knew it all right to the bottom, and yet he would redeem him. Now, I like that story because I think that's the picture 
of a shepherd that Jesus tells us about. Whoever enters through me will be saved. Later on, I'm, I'm skipping ahead beyond our text, but in verse 14 he says, I know my sheep, I know them, and I lay down my life for them. Jesus knows you completely. That's the force of this word, no. It's not like I have an idea of you. I know every detail of you. Which means he knows everything that's in the books. Right down to the bottom. There's nothing that you can hide from him. There's nothing that will surprise him. He knows you completely. And yet he redeems you. He lays down his life for the sheep. The shepherd voluntarily lays down his life in the place of the sheep. I like the way one of the verses of our hymns in the hymnals puts it. It says, What punishment so strange is suffered yonder? The shepherd dies for sheep that love to wander. The master pays the debt his servants owe him. Who would not know him? Isn't this the cross? Isn't this the empty tomb? On the cross, knowing you completely, Jesus paid your debt completely. You do not have a debt before God. It's been made good. And you know that because of the empty tomb. At the empty tomb, you are guaranteed that God accepted that payment. You have no debt before God. You are saved. That's what it means to enter through Jesus and be saved. If Jesus is your shepherd, then you are loved. You are cared for. You are forgiven. If Jesus is your shepherd, you are freed. You belong. You have life. And I think that answers our question, right? That is why we treasure the picture of Jesus as shepherd. I think there's so many beautiful pictures of God, of our Savior, in the Bible, but more than any other picture, there is nothing more personal. There's nothing that embraces every part of your life and every moment of your life like the good shepherd, the true shepherd that God wants for you. And so, as you go today, rest in your shepherd. Come in, go out, find pasture in your shepherd. Be safe in your shepherd. Experience peace in your shepherd. Find joy in your shepherd. That's why we have a good shepherd. To share in his life. And to have that life to the full. Amen.